What happens when you look at creativity through the lens of therapy and vice versa? You have creativity in an ever-changing world with Dr. Judy Bloom and Richard Skipper. In every episode, they come together with amazing artists who prove that with just a little ingenuity, we are all creative beings and that the gifts lie within despite the challenges of the outside world. And now, here are Dr. Judy Bloom and Richard Skipper. Happy Thursday, Judy. How are you today? We're great. How are you, Richard? Thank you. I am so excited about today's show because we are celebrating three incredible artists. And we are, uh, and one of them, uh, his name is scrolling on the bottom of the screen, but we're going to be celebrating uh, three artists today. We have Melissa Manchester, uh, Melissa Errico, two Melissas, and Ian Herman today. And all three have created these incredible CDs. Uh, the music uh, keeps flowing. And today, I choose a word, as you know, each week. And the word that I chose for today, uh, for our giveaway, is peace. Because to me, music uh, is what gives all of us peace. And I was thinking about this uh, this morning and how peace... Uh, as I was listening uh, to Melissa Manchester, uh, Melissa Errico, and Ian Herman's incredible CDs uh, this morning, all of them give me peace. And I've said this before, and I've and I truly believe this: if everybody uh, began and ended every day with music, I don't think there'd be any strife in the world. I truly believe that. Yeah. You just listen to a little music, have some gratitude, and you're good, you know? <laughs> That's it. So I want to ask you, because we begin every show uh, by talking about uh, celebration, uh, who or what are you celebrating today besides these amazing artists? Well, we're celebrating um, National uh, uh, Limerick Day, aren't we? That's right. And yeah. uh, you said that you brought a limerick. So I've got two, two quick limericks for us, all right? Okay. <laughs> So, and I've kept these as clean as possible. <laughs> a young lady who lived in St. Paul wore a newspaper dress to a ball. Her dress caught on fire and burnt her attire. Front page, sporting section, and all. And that, my folks, is what you call a limerick. That's right. The... One, one more we've got. <laughs> okay. God's plan made a hopeful beginning but man spoiled matters by sinning. We trust that the story will end in God's glory, but right now, the other side's winning. That's so. great. That's great. <laughs> so I, you know, I used to call this my random question that we started with, but today you know, I no longer call it a random question because someone corrected me that there are no random questions in life, that it's a surprise question. So the surprise question today, which I haven't looked at, is what do you, uh, what do the first 30 minutes of your typical day look like? A great way to start today. Yeah, great way. Um, as soon as I get out of bed, I literally walk outside and give gratitude. That is the absolute first thing I do every day. Um, and I have a Buddha out there and I rub his belly for good luck. Uh, and then, you know, brushing your teeth and all of that, and then come downstairs, have my coffee, read the New York Times <laughs> uh, and the LA Times and Variety. And that's about it. That's sort of the start of my, the first 30 minutes of my day. How about yours? 
Well, I, the first, believe it or not, I set my alarm clock every morning with, uh, with the sunrise. So each night before I go to bed, I ask my, uh, my iPhone, what time is the sunrise tomorrow? And I actually set my alarm clock with that. And whatever that time is, I get up, I brush my teeth, I get dressed, and I run out the door. And I go for a 30-minute walk before I do anything else every morning. Uh -huh. And that's the first thing that I do. Uh, so I think that Melissa Erico is having a little trouble logging on today. So hopefully she's going to be able to get here. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to bring, normally we bring on our guest one at a time. But our guests are so incredible today that I'm going to bring both of them on. Uh, Ian Herman and Melissa Manchester. I love both. And Melissa Erico just popped in. So Yay! she's here. So here. Everybody here. And uh, Melissa, thank you for being here. Hi, uh, I, I had to get my teenager to put me on this iPhone because I can't get, I don't know. I've always gotten on StreamYard easily. I'm sorry, I can't get it on my, my laptop today. Well, it doesn't matter. Mercury is in retrograde, so anything can and will happen. We mm -hmm. have two Melissas here, <gasps> uh, and everyone knows two Melissas. Uh, well, if you've got one Melissa, uh, you are a lucky man oh or woman my. in this world. But to have two Melissas is incredible. Great. <laughs> and I love wow. you both. So thank you for being here. And uh, I just want to, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, peace. And we all need a little peace in the world. And we'll go around and I'm going to ask each of you um, what the word peace means to you individually when it comes to artistry, creativity, and creating your music. And I'll start with you, Melissa Errico. Hmm. Well, what it means to me, um, it's interesting that last night someone reminded me what it ought to mean to me was that I had was finished uh, last night. I did my CD release at 54 below. And when I was finished with it, um, Maria Friedman had been in the audience and I didn't notice. And the second that I noticed that she was in the front row, I got excited. And I said, even in front of the audience, instead of concentrating on wrapping up my show, I said, oh, oh my God, you're here. Wow. And I paid her a tribute. And she, um, I said, did you enjoy it? And she said, we can talk later. <laughs> she said very loud, you know, and um, I think I was excited because like uh, so many performers and like, obviously the great Melissa Manchester right there, um, mm -hmm. you know, with somebody great like that is, is near you, you, you get this feeling that there's something better, that you need advice and that maybe there's something to learn and to beat yourself up about. Or And Maria Friedman made time after the show to spend quite a bit of time with me. And she said, now you go home and you don't beat yourself up. Like, because I mentioned, was it this? Was it this? And I met, and it's peace is if you can actually accept the moment you gave, the preparation and count on it. And then not, I think peace is, especially in our business, is to get away from the um, being unkind to yourself after you've been so generous mm. to try to clean yourself of that instinct to just ex to, to, to literally do something else when you get home or after a show, then analyze the show and second guess things and beat yourself up. It ha everything happened beautifully last night. Could something different have happened? Sure. But Maria reminded me as she walked away as a great showgirl tutor would 
Now you don't go home and beat yourself up. I wasn't beating myself up, but she saw I might. Mm -hmm. And so she was pointing me toward a peaceful choice. And I think, you know, that's maybe where I would start the conversation. That's amazing. Uh, and Ian, what about yourself? Uh, when it comes to peace, uh, you also, you, you play for so many people. Uh, you, as a musical director, uh, are so used to holding other people up. Uh, but this year, you have stepped outside of your comfort zone and you've created for the first time a solo CD. Right. Uh, you also only created... took 70 years to get there. But... <laughs> 70 years, but you did it. And you also created <laughs> your own website. Mm -hmm. uh, so you truly have stepped out of, yeah. uh, not that you were ever in anyone's shadow, but you've stepped out and put yourself solely in the spotlight. Yeah, it's it's a very different, <laughs> very different thing. Yeah, it's just, it's scary. Even, uh, yeah. And the peace thing, well, for me, the peace means no chatter. Yeah, gone. And that happens every time I sit down at one of these things. I everything else disappears. I I always tell people I could have a broken leg and I wouldn't know it if I was sitting down and, and playing. I would have no idea. So yeah. that that is a planet on its own, and that's that's my piece. And Melissa Manchester. Well, Dr. Judy, I'm so glad that you mentioned gratitude because um, to me, gratitude is our superpower mm -hmm. because it makes room for peace to show up. And for me, peace is the first step because my goal is always to get to stillness because stillness is where my creative source is. Oh. Um, and so, so peace is that that first uniting step after the gateway of gratitude shows up. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm totally with you. <laughs> <laughs> Judy, anything that you want to say before I go on? Uh, for me, pieces is actually uh, both the beginning of the day and the end of the day, which is when I give gratitude, right? I'm exactly there um, because it gives me a chance to, uh, set my intention for the day as well in the morning and then reflect on the day in the evening and without beating yourself up as Melissa Erico mentioned, you know, to not beat myself up about anything that I may have felt I could have done differently or better or whatever, but just to reflect on it. Okay. You know, was I able to help someone today? You know, that's what I do for a living is, you know, try to help people. Right. Um, you know, was, did I, I see some, some change in somebody today? Was somebody able to access a different part of themselves today that they normally aren't able to access or, or talk about? And for me, that's, that's the piece that, that you know, really is uh, important. Can I, uh, can I add to that? Um, it, that, that really hits a nerve for me because I, I um, <clears throat> if, if we're talking somewhat about these themes plus being singers is that what and, and musicians absolutely um 
you know, I'm just now uh, seeing my children grow up. I'm getting older. And I've been told for a long time I can use my body less. I can sing with my hands less. I can just stand there and be in my body and open my voice. And I've, you know, literally tried to not move too much, you know, um, let's say in recent years. But suddenly, even m more in the last few weeks, because I've found myself with a lot of concerts and practicing, the more I practice, the calmer I feel. Mm. And I'm using my body less hyper because I'm less excited. I'll go, wow, I'm singing, you know. So I think repetition and stillness kind of come together as well. So practice, even if it's somewhere like nothing fancy, you know, it's a, 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 a lesson or a rehearsal that you throw yourself. Give yourself the practice to be still in your body. And then as singers, to trust that you're to communicate the music, you don't have to rev yourself so hard and use your body so hard. I don't know what's clicking for me, but I've. my mother said last night, you were so calm. My husband mm. said, you're so calm. That's not what people would think of when they think of you, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm growing more calm and I'm less surprised that the show is starting because I'm practicing a lot. So repetition and calmness I don't know if there's a relationship. I would leave this to the experts, but. Well, don't, don't you think that to your point, Melissa, don't you think that is a function of maturity and eventually trusting your own instincts more? Trust. That's what it, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. That we're communicating an awful lot. We don't have to work it, that we're full yeah. of information mm -hmm. and emotion and unique emotion. Your mm -hmm. show will be different than my show. And I don't have to like explain, this is what my show is. It's really, right. special, you know? Um, yeah, maybe you're right. That's a good point. Do you think that going through the past uh, year and a half, two years has any uh, bearing on where you are right now with the work that you're doing on stage and the way that you're approaching your work? Well, the way I'm approaching my work is I take, uh, I still take cans of microban and spray every dressing room and every bedroom and every stage and every mic and every piano and all that stuff just to, you know, protect myself. Although the, the big takeaway lately, and I've really, gosh, I did not see this coming. I did a, a brief tour in Florida. I did a brief tour on the East Coast, and I just came back from a brief tour of the Midwest. And I started in uh, February, and I must say, I don't know if you're you're feeling this as well, but I really feel like like I'm doing a USO show for the for the troops at the front line. Mm -hmm. There's there is a there is a suggestion in the air like smoke that the audiences are so grateful to be back in community but we have all survived something yeah. mm -hmm. and some people have a name for it and some people have experienced excruciating loss and want to share that with you after the concert and tell you what your songs have helped them through Mm -hmm. um, but and even theater owners, theater operators and promoters who have been hanging on by their thumbs. They're grateful you showed up. And and these are the different programs they made up just to keep going. I mean, it's wild. Everything is new. All of the tales are, are new. And the 
the the gratitude for community from the audience and from me is just really breathtaking. That's I, incredible. I was reading that that your um, I, I guess it's your your latest album, um, but maybe it's the one before you just released. Uh, really dealt with the social and political climate uh, in a lot of ways. That the the video and the album really address the social well. Climate. Yeah, while while we were in while we were. Uh, suffering through the pandemic um i i started re-record i started a pro uh, a project called review which is the yeah. re-recording of several of my hits but what i wanted to do because we were not going anywhere was create videos that accompanied the songs and what i did not see coming was that many of those songs have grown into this moment so, for instance, the first song I released several months ago was called Just You and I, and the video was homage to all the first responders. And, you know, all of that stuff, these songs were written a long time ago, and all of a sudden they're growing into this moment. So it's, it's yeah. been very interesting, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting how we are all growing into this moment. Melissa, Erica, you mentioned this uh, being this piece after a show is over, and you have, I guess... Uh, uh, you do have this luxury. And one of the things that I admire about you is um, your uh, this relationship with your children and how much your children is, are, is such an integral part of everything that you do. And with all the work that you do and you work a lot is that your children are there always for you first and foremost. And I see this at the forefront of everything. It's in your bio, it's, it's on all your social media and everything. So I can't imagine that when a show is over, uh, that, you don't that you don't have the luxury of being able to sit back and think about the show itself as much as most artists would want to or desire to, because that's not where your focus is. Your focus is absolutely on your children and taking care of their needs. I know that especially after today's show, uh, you've got other plans with your children. We did it already. I oh, you did it? Up. Yeah, she, I took her. We There was a Sweet 16 shopping that needed to happen uh, because she took AP World History today. And I thought she'd get out of school at three. So I've already done the thing. But another child needs the booster shot at four. So, yeah, I'm fitting this in in the middle of, of a day. But it's interesting for, you know, I've had a lot of people make that observation. Like, I don't know how you do it with three kids or, oh, my God, three teenage daughters. First of all, they're teenage daughters. So my life is so much different than it was for the first 10 years of their yes. life. And now I have two 13-year-old daughters and a 16, but they're two and a half years apart. So we're heading to 14. I'm, I'm out of the woods in some sense, that I had three wild girls. I had like three wild fairies on my hands. I had twins and a two-year-old, and I had given birth to all these people. And my body was a mess. Uh, I was exhausted. Uh, it's no, it's no secret uh, that I had a tumor. Uh, you know, about six or seven years ago, and I had a carcinoid. Uh, sort of a, and that's where the Sondheim con, uh, concerts and all the Sondheim music that was about the sublime and about immortality and love and maternal things, children and art, all that music I made was out of that time, came out of that time, and I collaborated with Sondheim on it. Um, he knew what I was going through, and that had to do with childbirth and the and the costs. My children 
are a part of my children in art. And so I see it all sewn together. I believe that you don't compartmentalize parenthood, like you don't see this as a pizza pie and we're all competing for pieces of mom and mom's life is kind of crammed with all these parts. I just had to make the pie bigger. That's the right. The pizza pie of my life just had to widen and grow. I will not uh, name names, but there are people in our business who have been so loving to me, but have great regrets that they didn't take care of their families. All through the prime years of my career, I've basically heard those voices and I've thought, well, I may not be the superstar. I could have been a superstar. I might've been a superstar. I blew it. I'm not a superstar. Um, I also just couldn't even try any harder if my kids health and well-being was number one so i'm not even sure how things could have gone but i never denied that i'm a singer i never stopped making art and music my children have grown up with it so now that they're teenagers i finished a show last night and victoria i pick her up at school today to do this shopping the whole ride to the mall how did it go and i told her how it went and we compared it to how it would feel to play tennis because she's a tennis player. And I said, well, uh, everything technically went perfectly. And I explained to her, and I still think I won the match, but I'm not sure. And she says, maybe it wasn't your best tennis, but you still won. I said, yeah, and I wish it were even more thrilling. And she said, well, you can't have thrills, mom, all the time. You have, to have <laughs> Some days you just have to have a regular day. And we had a whole conversation about yeah. thrill thrills. She wouldn't even know Sondheim would say, you know, oh, if life were made of moments, even now and then a bad one. But if life were only moments, then you'd never know you had one. Right. If life were made of moments, Absolutely. special moments, you'd never know. Um, so my daughter and I had a philosophical conversation and then I won't dominate this ch this chat. But no, what I'm wonderful. saying is I've incorporated my children into what I do since day one. Yep. And yep. I think yeah. we're a pretty healthy family because there are three graces and mommy's Aphrodite and we're all going to be happy. They're happy to, they, I haven't hidden from them that I love this and I don't want to stop and it won't be good for them if I stop, but that they're always number one and that balance is in the air. And in that way, they actually make great, great generous gestures to me all the time. Uh, yeah, I know when, when I, had my two kids at some point I could not bring them on the road I was not that kind of an, a woman I, I didn't have that kind of strength to interact with them all day and then go on stage I don't know how you do that so at some point I pulled away from performing mm -hmm. and I did more writing and that's when I started writing more for Disney and and they would come into my office while I was writing and they would work on their homework or their coloring books or whatever. And when my son was 16, he came into my office and he said, okay, we're good. You can go back to the road. That's right. My kids have literally said, mom, if you get a Broadway show, we're good. Yeah, we're good. It's so interesting to hear you say that. They're actually openly using the word, we're good. Yep. And That's wild. so touching to hear from such a great person as you. <laughs> um, and, a, you know, and a mother. Um, so... I, I literally have been told by my kids that they're good and I can keep going now. So I feel you trust that they're telling you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> what a great story. I love, I love meeting you. <laughs> Thank you. Listen to them. I, I walked away from a career for, for my kids. You know, I changed careers for my kids. I was doing television news where you work all the time. 
Yep. Um, and you have no life. <laughs> uh, and when I was pregnant with my daughter, uh, it was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. And surprised a lot of people. Um, you know, I was an anchor in, on ABC in Los Angeles and uh, walked away and went back to school, changed careers. So as they were growing up, they saw <laughs> just a mommy student. You know, here I was working right. on a master's and then a doctorate and all that. So I was working, you know, they grew up knowing how important it was to study and to, you know, do, do the work you need to do and yet still have a life, right? Because I can still be there for my kids all the time. And then, um, you know, changed careers and became a therapist specifically because I could work my hours around their needs. So, you know, very similarly to the, the two yeah. of you, you know? Ian, as far as I know, you don't have children unless you have a bombshell today. Uh, but uh, I mean, with the work that you yeah. do, you know, in all the years that I've known you, you're always working. I mean, how do you find balance, you know, in terms of finding, you know, time to just get away from it all? Or do you find the time to get away from it all? I, well, I live alone and I, uh, that's my sanctuary. I, I actually almost never invite people over socially. This is like my space out there is the rest of my life. So this is my this is my place of calmness and all of that. I save it for me. All these three mothers are looking at you like, oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> How's that working? Three mothers. <laughs> Tell me more. No, yeah. No. Well, well like? you know, yeah. I mean, my kids are grown. My son is married yeah. and my daughter is has just received her MBA and is working. And, uh, you know, they're adults. So I'm here, but <laughs> we've sort of... We sort of recreated the Upper West Side of Manhattan where I grew up because I live here in, in uh, California and my daughter lives down the street. My son lives over the mountain. My sister lives down the street. So oh. we're a very tribal crowd. Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, I've actually been in this place for 50 years. Ah. Uh, by the way, you live with the Ansonia. Uh, you, you know, uh, well, Melissa, you know the man in Ansonia very well. Of course, you live in the Ansonia? That's so cool. Wow. That's now, Melissa, don't that, that, now that you've given away my address. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. I didn't give away the apartment number. <laughs> <laughs> but Melissa has a history with the Ansonia. You do. <laughs> well, I took singing lessons there when I was a little with, girl. With who? With who? Um, gosh, he, what did just, he just died. Oh, just died. Um, then I don't know that I do know him. Uh, uh, Cornelia? Why did I just drop the name? <laughs> and my parents took me there. I was, this was be, and then it was right before Joyce Hall. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. But yeah, you, I, I mean, well, I spent my childhood going to the Ansonia when oh, I was uh, a kid, but, and the man just passed and there was all these tributes about him on Facebook. There's going to be all these comments, people screaming at me. Uh -oh. <laughs> Early senior moment, that's all. Yeah, sorry. Wasn't his last name Cornelia? Am I thinking? Am I wrong? Uh, and no. 
I'll put it in the comments when you post this. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I a lot talk, of teachers in this building. Uh, I want to talk about three very specific things uh, that is why we are here today. And I'm going to start uh, with you, Melissa Errico, and this incredible uh, CD, Out of the Dark, The Film Noir Project, um, and how this all came about. And of course, last night, once again, I first of all, I had tickets for your show huh. when before COVID and then it kept getting pushed back and it got pushed back. And then the last time I was scheduled to be there, uh, I was not able to get there. And two very dear friends of mine, it was their anniversary. So, and I was telling Judy earlier, uh, I gave it away as an anniversary present. And uh, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Um, my friend called me up and she said, my husband uh, thanks you tremendously. <laughs> Not only was she stunning to look at, uh, but, uh, and she did say this, the stillness of her standing on stage, singing those songs. Last night? Was, uh, no, this was the last time that you were there. Oh, interesting. Uh, I thought I only got still yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> was so brilliant. And just said, I, I just, thought it was only last night, but okay. <laughs> No, but it was the last time you were there, and they just absolutely <laughs> loved the show, and I can't wait to see it. But uh, how did this project come about? And I'd like to talk about the process of recording this CD uh, during the last couple of years. Well, I'll, I'll try to make this brief because this is, you know, it could be its own thing, uh, show. So I'll just skip the stones quickly across the river. Um, in June of 2020, I was asked to do Whoops, you just muted yourself I'm going to decline okay. <laughs> look how fancy am I <laughs> <laughs> that never happens um, so uh, in, in June of 2020 I was asked to do a live stream for the French Institute the French Institute was really scared because they're used to having French talent come over from Europe and do all these beautiful programs there. And I had done a film festival for them the year prior when Michelle Legrand passed. Now I've never curated a film festival, but like the other women, like, like Ida Doc was saying, and, and Melissa, that you know, you've maybe evolve as your children uh, are in their younger years. Uh, I have done a few more intellectual kind of things that reflect the kind of person that I am. I've written a column in the New York Times two to three times a year. So I have about seven or eight articles, I've essays I've written in the Times called Scenes from an Acting Life. And the writing led to an interest in uh, curating a film festival, which I did for Michelle Legrand. So that was under my belt before the pandemic, some writing. I continued to write some essays for the Times in the pandemic. So a little more intellectual things were, go were, were still coming my way. They approached me and asked me to do a live stream the summer of 2020. And I said, of course, I'd be happy to. They said, please, will you do a, a program of seduction? You are very good with French and seduction, French seduction, Michel Legrand. I said, okay. And then she said, maybe in the spring of 2021, the world will be more normal and you could do another film festival. And I said, I would love to do film noir. I it Just the word is French, film noir. And I didn't even realize the layers of... Uh, 
where that French word comes from, etc. But so I agreed to it. And I said, we would begin a series. Why don't we do if it's going to begin with seduction and finish with film noir, which is a lot of murder mysteries. I said, why don't we call this make it a series? We'll call it love, sex and murder. And this French lady says is wonderful, is wonderful. So the president of this organization thought it was fun. I did a series. I, I adjusted it to be more respectful of the tone of our life, not be so sassy, basically. And I called the series Love, Desire, and Mystery. I did the Love concert. I did the Desire concert. I did it with Adam Gopnik from the New Yorker magazine. Interesting, extemporaneous conversation about the history of romance, really, and Love, Desire, and Mystery. The Mystery concert was all film noir. It was so interesting to study these movies. They're all about people being separated, people feeling their lives are out of control, feeling they can't trust anyone, feeling they have no idea who they trust. And it's erotic and it's anxious. The movies are erotic and anxious and they're all about being isolated and uh, feeling alienated and not knowing who to trust and feeling your life is out of control more I watched these movies and studied the music, I thought, wow, this is like our life. Hmm. And I learned that film noir is perceived as an unraveling intellectual interest. In very brief, film noir happened in the 40s. It was Europeans who were escaping the Second World War, getting away from Hitler. They were German expressionist cinema, German emigres. They came to the United States with all the anxiety of the Second World War to an America that had just recovered from the Great Depression. These aesthetic, low-budget movies that featured a lot of B-level actresses who are in cabaret, they uh, made these films, which were fantastic acts of art. They were not seen by the Europeans. In 1946, France was allowed to see the movies again that were made in Hollywood. A French critic watched all these interesting American movies and said, wow, during the Second World War, Hollywood has made all these wonderful film noir. And he called it film noir. And the seven or 10 years of work had a title. Film noir as a word struck a chord and another 10 years of film noir got made by Americans and Europeans. Mm. So film noir is uh, is a thing that folds over time and Mm -hmm. all through the 60s and the 70s, David Shire movie, uh, Farewell My Lovely, Batman is a neo-noir movie. So the idea recurs when people are anxious. So I just, once I understood this, I thought I could maybe make a, uh, I did a film festival that, I did that concert. It was an 11 movie film festival. Someone in the audience wrote me at one of these big talkbacks, a few hundred people on StreamYard, and you should make an album. So without going on anymore, it's a very interesting subculture as our worlds are each a sub subculture that just the t- everyone's talents are unique uh, you know even right here everyone has a unique perspective if you get into noir you have fallen into a rabbit hole in it in the culture and in the world actually there are people who live noir so yeah. i respectfully made a record and i called it the film noir project i hope i tipped my hat that i'm still exploring it it's an unending thing it's it's a 
it's a placeholder for whatever you think it is. Wherever your sexual mind goes, wherever your fears go, wherever this feeling of where trust works, how trust works for you, and how tough we get as we get older with uh, scary things, and so et cetera. So anyway, I'm not gonna. That my record is called "Out of the Dark," which I hoped would be us all coming out of the dark, and that these dark movies would give us some kind of chance to reflect on the pandemic it's a really sexy record world-class musicians probably many have played for you melissa these are the best guys in the world right up your tree and we made this album and we've been you know i think of it like sexy lingerie you don't get to wear it very often <laughs> so i <laughs> I, I, hope, <laughs> I, hope, I hope i get to perform it because it's very sexy it's very smart and it's musically really textured. And it's not just set in the 40s. It's, there are new noir songs for our noir time. You know? Oh, that's incredible. Great. Uh, it's really cool. It's so much to learn, you know? Uh, it, it's, it's incredible. I've been listening to it. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. And uh, Ted Firth says that it's not jazz, but it's jazz adjacent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, you like that, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I'm going to come to you, Ian, because coming out of your comfort zone, and we're going to talk about your uh, latest CD. Uh, and here it is. Uh, it's images. Um, how did you come up with this title? And what was your ultimate goal with uh, what your message is that you wanted to come up with this CD? Well. I've been, it's, it has to do with my writing process. I've been writing all my life. I used to be, I was a concert pianist growing up and my teachers hated me because I would sort of rewrite Mozart. Instead. <laughs> I could not play, I couldn't stand having to play all those notes the way they're written. And, <laughs> and I would do that. And I've had to, well, I've had some incidents. One was with Pittsburgh Symphony. I was soloing with them and I went up on a Haydn piano concerto and I wrote the second movement. <laughs> with, <laughs> I had no idea. It's a long story. Anyway, <laughs> uh, now I forgot uh, where I was. Uh, were drugs involved? What? <laughs> were drugs involved? <laughs> <laughs> yes, when I was 13. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> What, what interested me also, Ian, though, is that you said you, I, I read that you, you know, when you create, you've got colors and images yeah, that's, going that's, through your mind, you know? When I write, um, I don't know how to explain it. I sit down and I play and it just comes. And the difficult part is 10 seconds later, I have no idea what I just played. Mm -hmm. So if I can catch four bars or something, that I know I like, I'll hit the record button and then I can, I can go from there and then I have to piece it all together. But yes, and when I'm in that state, I see images, colors and textures and once in a while a story. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, that's where the title came from. Yeah, yeah, you're channeling the music, right? Yeah. yeah. Then I have to, <laughs> you know, I, I hated practicing so much 
And then I ended up writing this stuff that's so difficult to play. I have to practice it. <laughs> so <laughs> I sort of bit myself in the, in the foot. Um, Were you ever a visual artist? A what? A visual artist. No. No. I'm not, not sure exactly what you mean by that, but. Well, because when you say images, it's funny, you're, you're a musician, but you have a painter's, you know, freedom. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, it's beautiful. No, it just comes. It just comes in. I don't know where it comes from. I don't question it. Yeah. I just do it. It reminds me. This album, this album is all original stuff, and three of the pieces were improvs done in the studio. Just my producer said, sit down and play, just... Just do wow. it. And so we did that. It reminds me of something I just uh, read recently that uh, Lawrence Olivier uh, was, he was doing uh, an incredible Shakespearean piece and uh, he walked off stage and the audience went ballistic uh, at his performance. And uh, everyone backstage was going, that was the most magnificent performance that I have ever seen. And he said, how will I ever recapture this? And because of that moment, he developed incredible stage fright. Oh, and yeah. from that moment on, he every time he walked on stage, he was in such a panic state that for seven years he could not perform mm. uh, because he was afraid that he was never going to be able to recapture that moment on stage. Uh, just amazing. Uh, Melissa Manchester, 1977. Uh, this incredible new live concert is now being released for the first time. Yes. Uh, why now? <laughs> uh, it was in the vaults at Arista Records, and um, I had completely forgotten about it, but uh, this fellow, Joe Marchese, um, who climbs around vaults and attics of record companies, found this concert that I had done in Gainesville, Florida, where I performed quite a bit because of the university. I used to primarily do university concerts. And this came uh, after my first hit, Midnight Blue, and um, Arista Records just did not think this would be an appropriate follow-up to release. And so it's been in the vaults all these years. And um, I'm very touched that it actually has found its way to the light of day in this moment, because I'm nearing 50 years in this enduring career of mine. And it's very touching for me to hear this younger version of myself, because my body remembers what she was like. Now, I had no technique. I had no mentors. I had me and my band. I had a record company that could not quite hear what my intentions were. I had no mentors. But when I was on stage, I was like a racehorse. The mm -hmm. gates opened and I performed and I left myself on the stage. This is barely mixed. The, the original tape recording of this is just half inch. It's not even, you know, two inches with tracks. It's just as if you're sitting in the audience. You couldn't it's have very, fixed it for anything, right? No, it's very yeah. raw. It was it was mixed, so to speak, as it was being recorded. And it was very touching to hear it 
because you know, there are imbalances. You know, sometimes the guitar is louder than the piano. It doesn't matter. It's a piece of of from another time. And um, I have great tenderness for the band, but I, I find great tenderness for that younger woman um, because I knew so little and in that moment, but I had a big, big green light in front of me to, to do this. And, um, and where I could do it most fully was on stage. So it's lovely that it's, that it's been released. Oh. And, and what was amazing is that cover photo, which I had had in my files, was taken by a 19-year-old fan in the audience. I'm going to ask you about that gorgeous picture. It's amazing. His name is David Lachey, and he's now vice president at TKTS. All right. So, so David Lachey did this? Uh, yes, David Lachey, yes. And he did the opening and he did the back cover. I mean, it's, he was, you know, he... So he was just in the audience. Yeah. Uh, it's, I know James it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's actually a black and white photo and our beautiful art director did a remarkable job, not only tinting it, but tinting it according to the actual top that was designed by my late mother. Oh, terrific. Yeah. So, Melissa, speaking of 1977, yeah, it was a, Young, you know, just starting out in many ways, but I was a reporter at the ABC station in Philadelphia at the time. Uh -huh. I was on the way there sure. and interviewed your good friend, Barry Manilow. Uh -huh. And he was recording. I, I had a, a, a series that I, I was one of the first entertainment reporters in the industry, really. There, in 77, there really weren't any, and I decided that was a niche I could do. Um, so I created... Uh, something called in, in Tune With, and I interview various, uh, you know, performers. And another one which is called On Stage With, okay? Uh, and so In Tune With, I did In Tune With Barry Manilow, and we went and he was recording a, uh, a video around a pool. And I can't remember the name of the song. I mean, I, I just blanked on the name of the song that, that we, you know, he was doing when we we came to interview him. We shot him doing the video. We shot him doing all that. And I wound up getting in the pool with him and, you know, do the, this, do this whole thing. I, I'm dying to know the name of the song. Yeah. yeah. Also, <laughs> by any chance where I can find the video. So next time you talk to Barry. <laughs> yeah. You probably knew Ed Shockey. Yeah, Ed oh yes, he was Absolutely. he was magnificent. Yeah, he yeah Absolutely. he was. Yeah, I mean the the thing is that to have to have endured in um in this career of mine, where I'm now an independent artist, where I have learned what that actually means from my students, it's amazing. We are in such a remarkable moment to be free to make art, huh. um, and to. And you to, felt your hands were tied in the older days, like it was more the the studios was, controlling you, and you were yeah, so it was it, yeah, it was really difficult. I mean, the my first two albums were for Bell Records, and Bell Records was uh, was a singles label, and in those years, the radical thing that they did was bring me on as an album artist. So they left me alone. So for my first two albums, Home to Myself and Bright Eyes, I was literally left alone to make music. And when Clive Davis absorbed bell into the new label arista mm -hmm. they he took on me and barry manilow and tony orlando and don 
you know, the, the, it was reframed into a singles driven album, you know, a record label, which is what most record labels are. And on my first album for Arista, Melissa, it had Midnight Blue and Just Too Many People. And so, you know, the, as they say, the only thing harder than the first single is the second single. And uh, we worked really hard promoting those singles. I would do primary radio and secondary radio station, a college radio station across the nation. I learned how to drink <laughs> tequila. <laughs> I, you know, I pressed lots of hands. I, you know, and I had I had heard myself as a jingle singer because that's how Barry and I got to know each other. We were all jingle singers, which was remarkable because it was a deep learning process being a jingle singer. And I had heard myself as a jingle singer on radio a lot, but to hear your own composition for the first time on on the radio as you're driving out of Texas, it was just wild. It was a game changer, really. How do you know how to write a good song? I mean, does it, does it come to you? Like, well, I mean, you, you, you know, you write because you have to write. Yeah. You, you write because you have to write. You hope it's a good song. And what I have learned over the years is I have a better sense of editing. When I first started writing, the, the airwaves were so, the, the American song, the American popular song was just being turned inside out by people like the Beatles and Sly and the Family Stone and Laura Nero and Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and Stevie Wonder. I mean, it was just, there was new language. There was new sensibility. Lyrics were infused with poetry and psychology. And, you know, the Beatles were making up language. Oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da. Laura Nero was writing, can you Surrey? Can you picnic? It was just wild. It was wild. And so when I started to write, it was, it was like I was stumbling onto a second language. And so the gush of just capturing expression was was really uh, a visceral for me, and very so in the, by that. Well, in the beginning, it was just about getting it down because everything was stimulus for writing a song. So, what by the time I started studying with Paul Simon um, when I was seventeen, he gave me a he started to give me a greater sense of what was actually happening in that moment, which is that which is that all stories have been told. It is the way you tell your story which separates you out. And I've never forgotten that. That's mm. been my North Star, and that's what I teach students. It, that's all you got, because all stories have been told. Yes. So it's, oh, it's, 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 your, it's your form of language, that visceral language. And what I know to be true is, is that there are two styles of writing. One is from the eyebrows up, and one is from the heart down. And that's where the stillness becomes the only way to get to that. And you can feel it. I mean, I can feel it in my body. That's so this, so, and, and, and for these almost 50 years that I've been singing so many of these songs over and over again, they they have, the blessing is that these are living monologues that I've been able to grow into because of my life. So. That's wonderful. Well, if, are each of you able to donate a CD that for a giveaway? Absolutely. Great. And we're going to put it together in one package. And I'm going to give this away now. So hopefully you've all put in the word piece. Um, do we have, I, I've got one question that I want to ask each of you. It's the same question. Um, and uh, I know, Judy, do you have a few minutes to stick around? 
Melissa, Erico, you have a few minutes to stick around. Sure. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. And, but I've got one question I want to ask each of you. And uh, we're going to do a quick giveaway uh, for the giveaway um, today. Here it is. And then I'm going to, we're going to speed through this quickly. And uh, our winner today is going to be we're gonna, Rosa Puzo. Oh, that's <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. We all love Rose. Uh, she works so hard. She's out there uh, pushing for me all the time. Yes. Um, the other night, I, uh, I'm going to ask this question, and then I'm going to give each of you um, a chance to have your closing uh, comments for today. Um, anything you want to say about anything that we talked about today, uh, anything we didn't talk about that you wish you had, or just any message you want to put out to everyone. Uh, the other night, I had uh, Charlotte Crossley on the show. Uh, <laughs> we love, she sends her uh, love to you, Melissa. Yes. And I asked this question and I said, what is the one thing that you don't understand about this business? <laughs> and her answer uh, is something that I think that uh, all of us have been uh, around for a while, myself included. And her answer just was like a bullseye. And she said, I feel like even at this point in my life, I still have to prove myself on a daily basis that even with my resume and everything that I have done, that there are people out there that, well, you know, can you prove that you've done this? And I go, just Google me. It's all out there. And I want to ask each of you, and I'll start with you, uh, Melissa, Erico, um, what is the one thing in this business that you don't understand? And if you want to build upon what uh, Charlotte said the other night, you can build upon that as well. I, I have to say I'm captivated by listening to Melissa Manchester right <laughs> now. And that hits a nerve that's so profound and can answer that question. I don't know why there's not a mentor system in our business. Why she didn't have a mentor obviously turned out to be one of the great artists in America without one, but can say that it's so staggering. And then that I can gain so much in 25, whatever, it's 45 minutes listening to her, spending time with her on my iPhone. I even failed to get her large on my laptop. <laughs> so I'm looking at you, you're, you're the size of um, like an earplug. <laughs> A quarter would cover you easily, you know, a dime. I'm thriving on even the small version of the face I know so well, but mm -hmm. a mentor system that we could pass kindness, illumination, information down, even if it's 10, 15, whatever the years are, there are girls that are probably 20 years younger than me that I could touch their heart by explaining where I've been and how I've started to author my own life and be the girl that I am, the kind of singer that I am. It's taken, I'm just starting to get the groove on that. But maybe if we were encouraged, you know, to get out of whatever our habits were right from the get go, I was a theater actress, a follower, a girl who knew how to please everyone, hopefully um, sing Eliza Doolittle exactly as it's written, exactly as Lerner and Lowe intended. 
I never had that open that open road that Melissa Manchester just described of the the, the Laura Nero world, you know, of colors and, and expression, the idea that all stories have been told and say it your own way. Well, no one ever told me that. They told me to do a learner low road. <laughs> and so if I had met her or if there was a forum of some kind, I might have gravitated to her and not been this age. Like right now, I'm going to call her later. <laughs> like for a queen. But like, I might have been a different 35 year old if I had had exposure to a poetic artist like Melissa. Um, I never met poetic artists like her until now. So mm -hmm. I think a mentor system would have served me immeasurably. And I wonder if there's someone out there who's a theater actress, thinks she's a theater actress, that I might be able to help her become more jazz adjacent, more uh, idea-based, uh, self-creating, all the things I'm getting to be late. So I think a mentor system, I think, could be better developed. I agree. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. That's great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for all the, the years you've given me such good, good karma. I noticed it. Thank you. Uh, Melissa Manchester? Repeat the question again. <laughs> um, Anything you what, want to change or what's wrong yeah. with Business. What's the one thing uh, in this business that you don't understand? And building upon what uh, Charlotte Crosley said the other night, do you feel that you're still having to prove yourself in this business? Well, what I know to be true is that the audition is never over. I mean, if you think that, and this is true, that even Barbara Streisand had to lay her case out in order to make that masterpiece Broadway album. She had to lay her case out. That leaves me breathless every time I think about it. And so everything else, you know, mm -hmm. is just by comparison is just true. The audition's never over. And um, I, I wish somehow, because I do, when I was teaching at the Thornton School at USC for a while, I was dealing with young singer songwriters and I would try, there are very few record companies anymore. That's sort of the good news, bad news. I wish somehow that the leverage that lawyers, managers, press attorneys hold over young artists to make them think that the young artist is working for them instead of the truth that all of those cogs working for that young artist I wish that would change, including the record company. I wish the record companies would not necessarily have adversarial relationships with their artists. It never made sense to me. It mm. doesn't make sense to me if you're dealing with a, cre and that's because the business people are not creatives. Creatives think differently than, than many business people. And yet these days, many young artists have to be business people, and they should be. They should be. Um, it was not good for me to keep delegating manager, press, attorney, accountant, you take care of it, because in the end, I was left in the dark, and that was never a good idea, and sometimes it was really a difficult idea. But I, I wish there was some way to quicken the, the maturity of a young artist to be oh. able to to be able to take a meeting, what I say to them, 
to the best of my ability is when you have a meeting with manager, lawyer, accountant, agent, press, if you don't understand something and you say, please explain it the seventh time and use crayons, if they're starting to get annoyed with you and you feel your anxiety start to come up to the neck and you're breathing shallow and you're starting to get fearful, excuse yourself Find a restroom, go into a stall, lean against the wall, bend your knees, and breathe deeply into your gut. Thank you. Slow everything the heck down. Because their their trigger is to make you feel like you're working for everybody else. And you know what? When you're in your early 20s, that's the way you feel because you don't have that much experience. Mm. But what I've learned to be true for me is that I'd much rather be respected than liked. And that's just it. Oh, thank you. Judy, I know you've got a patient. Do you want to speak now before you rush off? I normally give you the final word, but you've got it now. All right. Well, um, I'll I'll do the my my final word as part of this is going to be a a limerick that that we're going to do. But in in addressing what was just brought up, well, interestingly, Melissa, going to the bathroom to get yourself under control is exactly one of the things I tell my patients in terms of whenever they get triggered. Just get yourself literally out of the room. Exactly. So you can get yourself under control and then figure out how, who you want to be and how you want to approach the situation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and yes, we're all on audition every time. Every time I get a new patient, I'm auditioning for the you know, yes. therapist, you know? Yes. <laughs> so I totally get that. All right. So my, li- my limerick to leave you all with today, uh, you have a patient. <laughs> The incredible Wizard of Oz retired from his business because to most of his clients who all knew their science, he wasn't the wizard he was. In addition to that, so be your own wizard in life for only you know your strife. Do better each day because come what may, it's you who's in charge of your life. I love it. Amen. And I will see you next time. Ian, uh, you... uh, uh, the same question for you, Ian, and I'll see you next time, Judy. Uh, next, uh, same question for you, Ian. Well, mine is a little more um, internalized, I guess, uh, different subject. Uh, you know, growing up, I never, I never understood why I was told Mozart is played this way, Beethoven is played this way, this is how you do it. I just, I never got that. And now... This this album, what I play, uh, has so many different styles on it. There's there's uh, rock, there's blues, classical, a little jazz, some swing, country, and that seems to be a major problem. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I don't I I I don't get it. But that but that's an illusion. Because be, that's always been an issue. Well, you're a balladeer. You're not an R and B person. Right. Yeah, but right. I love R and B. What's the problem? Yeah. Don't 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 buy into that problem. Yeah. Mm. How is it manifesting? May I ask? What do you? Oh, well, what do you mean? How is the problem showing up? Um, it's just frustration. I just keep going. I do what I do. I think one of the reasons I write in so many styles is I get bored quickly. So I just, I'm on to the next thing. 
Um, but I'm not changing. I can't change. It's who you are. I, yeah. 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 I could never, I could never get, it was, it's not never. I, it was very hard for me to, to do any R and B music on my albums because the company did not see it that way. And it's, that's why, that's why this latest album, the 77 concert is all full of all sorts of music. Cause that was the only place I could be free musically. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of other things I could have said, but I'm afraid I'd get into trouble. Huh? Well, don't get in trouble yet. Don't go anywhere for a moment. I want to give my closing remarks for today. First of all, Melissa, Melissa, Ian, and Judy, thank you all for being here. And thanks, everybody, for showing up. Uh, I know that I can speak for everyone here. We don't take it lightly when you show up in this business. Uh, You could have been anywhere else for the last hour. And whatever time you watch this or whether you're listening to this on the iPod, uh, thank you for showing up. And I love what Melissa Errico said about gleaning something different. The reason I do what I do is I learn from every single person that I have on this show. And every day I'm learning something new. And not only am I learning something new about each of the guests that I have on the show, but I'm learning things about myself. And I'm learning each day, my goal is to be 1% better than I was the day before. That's my goal every day. And again, going back to the word peace, and I was, I was interviewed this morning by a wonderful young woman in Spain. And we were talking about all the problems that are going on in the world right now. And we were discussing the business of show. And, I, and she said, how do you do it all? And I said, well, it's like a great meal. And this is for all of us. And when you sit down for a great meal, you don't sit down and gorge yourself on everything that's put out in front of you. You start with a nice appetizer and then you move on to the next course and then the course after that and the course after that. And that's how we have to do everything. Just take it one bite at a time. And we need to go within before we need to go out there. And we need to find the peace within ourselves before we can find the peace in the world. And I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the uh, fifth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. And I'd like you all to do the same thing. Melissa, Melissa, and Ian. Reach out to the fifth person and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. Uh, Because as my dear friend, Sean Moniger says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. You never know what someone else is going through right now. And I always say, if you're gonna go out in a boat, Make sure that you bring a skipper along. I love you all. Keep the music going. I love you all. And uh, thank you for these great CDs. I've enjoyed listening to them all day, and I'm going to continue to listen to them. Thank, thank you. you, Richard. Have thank a great you, everybody. It's great to tomorrow. meet you. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Be well. And I'm off to see a show myself tonight. I'll see you later. Have a good one. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>